I'm Matthew, one of the pastors here, and we believe that God has called us to follow Jesus, love our neighbors, and be a economically and racially diverse church. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about the beats or the rhythms that God, uh, or that we need to have in our life in this coming year to be used by God, to grow in our faith, and we're in the middle of 21 days of prayer and fasting. Now, we've got one more week to go, so if you have not yet joined in, there's still time. Uh, and if you've never fasted, you could fast a, a meal, fast breakfast, fast lunch maybe some, at some point this week. And then on Thursday night, it, we'll be praying again. We'll be gathering at our house at 7 o'clock. If you want to come and, and join us from 7 to 8, we'll be praying together. And I also have uh, some prayer guides on the back. If you just wanted some ideas to pray each day, there's a, a scripture and then a prayer for my life, a prayer for the church, a prayer for the world. So those are back there. We've also been uh, posting those on, on face, Facebook just to give you, uh, you know, sometimes when you, we pray a lot, we, we might run out of things to pray for. So this just helps us, gives us some things that we can pray for. So our theme passage for the month has been Colossians 4, verse 2 through 6. just want to review that quickly before we get into what God has for us today. Colossians 4, 2 through 6 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So I may have mentioned every week uh, for the last couple months that God has called all of us to be part of what he's doing in the world. It's not just, uh, and we don't want to be just a church that's run by a few religious professionals. Like God wants all of us, he's called all of us, he's gifted all of us in some way. And as a church, we all must be ready to give an answer. And, and kind of our, our focus on what this looks like in taking this passage is that we need to become a godly, intriguing, socially adventurous, joyous presence in the lives of others. So how do we, how do we live lives that evoke curiosity? And, and last week, I, I gave you the first tip or the first rhythm in that, and that's just simply to bless. We are people that bless one another. We, we lighten someone's load. We, we um, help them breathe easier when we bless them. And some practical ways that we can do that is just words of, affir- words of affirmation, a kind word, a simple gift. And my challenge for you was to bless one person every week. Uh, bless someone in the church one week, maybe someone outside the church another week. And in blessing others, we're, we're going to evoke some questions and some curiosity. And, and people might start to ask, like, why are you doing this? And then we can say, well, it's because of what God has done in my life. Like, I believe God has been so good to me that this is the kind of life that he wants me to live. And it gives us that opportunity because we've been blessing people. And I, I got an email from Jody Smith this week, and she took my words to heart. It's always encouraging. I wasn't forgotten by Monday, you know. Uh, but she decided to go into her alley behind her house and just clean up. For, and it, she was back there for like three hours cleaning up and, and picking up trash. And, and she said that uh, quite a few, some neighbors drove by, and most of them are, and, you know, waved and said hi. And they drove by in pretty decent cars, she said, but not a single person stopped to offer help until a homeless guy came by 
And he introduced himself and uh, said he didn't want anything from her and didn't want to scare her, but that she used some help. And, uh, and so she emailed me and uh, she met it. His name was James, and she's hoping that he stops by again sometime and have a longer conversation with him. And she said, isn't it ironic that the homeless guy was the only person in hours and hours who asked if he could help me? So we, we need a rhythm of blessing others in our lives. And um, I mean, we live in a graceless culture. I mean, uh, this week, perfect example, there was a, a video you might have seen that went viral. In fact, I got a picture here, I think, just to show you. Anybody see that picture this week? Oh, yeah, here we go, here we go. Uh, so when it's a bunch of white boys, predominantly white, mostly white, 99% white, wearing Make America Great hats, uh, surrounded uh, by an older Native American, and uh, the video that went out, I mean, it was, wasn't very long, right? And there was just immediate backlash. They had to close the school on, on Tuesday and had five patrol cars around the, uh, the school where the boys were from. And, uh, I mean, the video, it looked like to watch it was, like, it looked bad. Like, it looked, looked bad. Um, well, then there was a longer video that showed that there was a third party there that you didn't know about in the original video who, that was uh, calling the boys all kinds of, like, calling them uh, children of incest and using homophobic slurs at which the boys responded uh, to defend the LGBT community. You can hear in the video. Uh, and so then those who had uh, bashed the group originally were in turn bashed by those who said, well, look, at this just proves that the media is, is one way. And so like you had this back and forth, and, and those um, who had judged were then judged in return for judging too quickly. And those who denounced the students on Saturday, by Monday, they, they had, um, you know, become part of the entire rush to judgment, politically correct media. And, but what was lacking in the whole conversation was grace. From any side, from just taking a moment and offering grace. Like, that is not the culture that we live in, a culture that offers grace. And, and uh, I was having trouble sleeping thinking about this situation and how it just uh, is another example of how divided we are as a country and how, and how the media can, can share just a certain version of what we want to hear and how either side just, want, just hears what we want to hear, right? And in, in the middle of that, there's just no, no grace. There was no, no dialogue. And, uh, and so, the, I mean, hopefully you can go and you can do some more research and you can seems like there was, uh, there were some other videos of the boys yelling at some, in some, another situation earlier in the day. Like, I saw a video of that. But the culture that we live in, we're, we're so insecure. Like, we, we're all trying to prove ourselves, and we live in a culture of spite where we hold grudges, and we envy success, and we protect ourselves and, and our side. And, and the church has been called to a different way. We have been called to offer grace and to be a sign of something different, a, a pointer to God's coming world, to what he wants to do through us. And um, so this looks like, practically, it looks like blessing others. The second thing this looks like, well, but before I get there, I'm going to ask you a question. Why did Jesus say that he came? Why did he say 
that he came. If, if you were to fill in this uh, sentence, the Son of Man came to... Some different things. There's a couple of different things that scripture, scripture says. But Mark 10, 45, Jesus talking about himself, says, For the Son of Man came, uh, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He also said in Luke 19, 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So those are statements of purpose. Like, why did Jesus come? He came to seek and save the loss. He came to, to serve and to give his life for us. And uh, so that's why Jesus came. But how did Jesus come? There's, there's another time where Jesus says about himself in Luke chapter 7, the son of man came eating and drinking. Now this, this isn't a statement of purpose. This isn't, this isn't why Jesus came. This was how Jesus came. Like how did Jesus come? By eating and, and drinking. And this was his, his modus operandi, his MO. Like, how did he operate? He shared meals, and um, yes, he preached, he healed, um, he did some, some teaching, he, he did those things, but he says about himself, eating and drinking, and he did that a lot, eating and drinking. And the, the topic, or when it says the son of man, the son of man, to us, I don't know if it carries much weight, uh, but in the prophets, in Daniel in particular, the son of man was uh, this person who was going to come at, and, and bring in with him the authority of the ancient of days. Like the one that was going to be the precursor uh, to God himself uh, coming into the world. And, and so when the, the Jewish people, when they heard the son of man, they thought that the son of man was going to come with a bang. Like coming on the clouds of glory was going to wipe out uh, evil and, and restore the, the Jewish people. But instead, Jesus shares a meal with people. And, it, and Jesus didn't just eat uh, because he was hungry. Like for sustenance, there was something to his eating. So Luke seven thirty four goes on to say, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, so he's talking to the religious folks, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors, and sinners. So a glutton was someone who ate too much, a drunkard, someone who, who, who drank too much. Did I say that twice? Glutton, eat too much? Yeah. Uh, I think I got it right. But that's what Jesus did so much eating and drinking that he was accused of being both. Not that he was, but, but that's, what, that's what he did. And, and for Jesus, his excess of food represented an excess of grace. Like in his meals, he was offering grace, and Jesus told us to do some things when we got together. Um, some things he, he didn't tell us to listen or to sing, necessarily, but, I mean, Jesus did that, his disciples did that, so we sing, we gather the New Testament church, they sing, there's teaching, we see that. But what Jesus told us to do, and we recall these words of Jesus when we meet every week for communion, whether you, you realize that's what we're saying or not, but Luke 22 Jesus, he said, he took the bread, he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body uh, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so the table, sharing meals together, ought to be just a primary, um, a primary symbol of the people of God, like a primary practice of the people of God, sharing meals together, eating uh, together. Uh, and there's so much... There's so much in Scripture about food. Like the very first pages, what got Adam and Eve in trouble? Food. 
the very last pages of Scripture, what's happening? A meal with God where the nations have come together and we're at the table together. And so all, all through Scripture, from beginning to end, there is, you'll find this trace of, of food. Uh, the, the people of God, the, the Old Testament Hebrews, the Israelites, they were given certain um, uh, festivals and feasts to commemorate what God had done among them. And most of them centered around food in some capacity. Uh, so the Passover, what was the, the central point of the Passover, like the central thing, was a meal where the lamb had been sacrificed and you ate a portion of the meal. And the, uh, there, was, there was other festivals, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, well, right there in the title, that's about some unleavened bread. Uh, the idea that they ate uh, bread without yeast for the week. In fact, they moved it out of their, out of their house. Um, and then the Feast of First Fruits, right there. Like we are celebrating God's abundance for us in our lives. Uh, the Feast of Weeks, uh, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, which was more of a day of fasting, but still it was the abstaining from food. So food all through the, the feast, the Feast of, of Booths, or it was the, also called the Feast of Ingathering, celebrating the end of the harvest, like all these things were uh, around the table, like the people of God would, would eat. And so, uh, and we could even spend a couple weeks developing a theology of food, as, as crazy as that might sound. Like we've got theologies for all kinds of things. Maybe we need a theology of food, like eating, eating together. Um, and I find it ironic, we're in the middle of 21 days of prayer and fasting, and I'm talking about food. I hope you're not too hungry. That's all right. Um, but there is a time for everything in our Christian faith. Uh, there's a time for fasting, and there's a time for feasting. It's not, it's not one or the other, uh, but it's, it's both. And, and some of my, my favorite church memories, and I don't know if you grew up in church or not, but like around the church potluck, like even around our, our church, our fifth Sundays when we have pancake breakfast together, like those are some of my favorite times where we can sit down and share a meal together break bread, hear stories. Um, and so my goal today for the rest of our time is to show you how powerful it is to share a meal together and then to encourage you to start sharing meals together with one another and with your neighbors and as a way of pointing to God's coming kingdom when there will be no more injustice, no more quick to judge, when grace will overcome all. Um, so Jesus, in his ministry, he's always eating. He's, he's going to a meal. He's at a meal. In fact, there was a, uh, a scholar, he wrote a book called Eating Your Way Through Luke's Gospel. And he looks at some of the, the ancient practices of eating and what they ate, and he talks about how uh, probably most uh, people in Judea mostly were on the edge of starvation all the time, mostly vegetarian, just simply because meat was a commodity. But he, he goes through and um, he could easily title the book, Jesus, the Traveling Foodie. All right? Uh, a little more modern terms there. But that's what Jesus, I don't know if you want to pitch him like that or not, but the Traveling Foodie, like eating wherever you went. Uh, but, this, uh, but Robert, the author of the Eating Your Way Through Luke's Gospel, he said in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, he's at a meal, or he's coming from a meal. Like all through the, the book of Luke, Jesus is either at a meal, coming, going to a meal. And so just briefly want to go through and, and hit a couple of them so you can see. Is that true, Matthew? You know what you're talking about? Well, you can read the gospel of Luke for yourself. Uh, but here's a couple. 
Luke chapter 5, Jesus ate with tax, collect, tax collectors, sinners. Luke 7, uh, there was a scandalous woman who was known to be sinful. She was probably a prostitute. She anoints Jesus' feet at a meal. Jesus feeds 5,000. That's a meal, all right? Uh, Jesus eats in the home of Mary and Martha, Luke chapter 11. Jesus uh, goes to a Pharisee's house, and while he's there, he calls the Pharisee a fool. Like table manners, Jesus, come on. Uh, but that's what he, he does. Yeah, not our typical picture of Jesus. Luke 14, uh, Jesus is at a meal again with the Pharisees, and he, he tells them, you need to go out and invite the poor, the lame, let them come to the meal, and then you'll be blessed. Uh, Luke 19, Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. Luke 22, the Last Supper. That was the Last Supper. Luke 24, the risen Jesus has a meal with disciples on two different occasions. So even after Jesus had been raised from the dead, he is still eating. All right, even in his glorified body. Like he didn't have to eat, but that should tell us something about the power of breaking bread together. Like in the, in the meal itself. And so even when Jesus wasn't eating, a lot of his teaching had to do with food in some capacity. So in Luke 13, uh, Jesus was talking about the, the last, last supper. And he said, many will come from the east and the west and the north and the south. And, and Jesus was, was broadening the table. He was making the table larger. Luke 14, the, the parable of the great banquet. Uh, Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, where the son runs away, he squanders everything. And what is the low point of that story? When he wants to eat what the pigs are eating. What's the high point of that story? When he's brought back into the banquet, the table is food over and eating over and over. Luke 16, the rich man during this time on earth had all he wanted, and the poor man just wanted the scraps from his table. And then they both died and things changed. But it's about food. And, and so Jesus, his ministry was carried out at the table, around the table. It seems like uh, Jesus, the way he operated was around a long meal with some fish, some bread, and a pitcher of wine. Like that was how Jesus did his ministry and how he offered grace and how he turned things upside down. And, and even in uh, the book of Revelation Jesus is speaking to the church. He's already ascended, but he's, he's looking forward to that last day. And Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. And then he tells, uh, he, he tells the, the church that if they overcome by faith, he will give them the right to the tree of life. The, the tree that was in, in the garden, that we'll have a right to that tree again. And so what Adam and Eve lost in the garden and paradise lost is regained in Christ through faith and access to the tree of life. And, and Jesus spent his time around the table. The early church, they gathered, they broke bread daily in Acts 2. And so we ought to be people of the table. Like we should eat together. That's all I'm trying to say. Are you with me? Can we do that? I feel, like, I feel like we can all do that. I feel like we can all break bread together. Now, 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 food and eating is not the sum total of our faith. All right? Paul said the kingdom of God is not a matter of food and drink, but of, of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. But the mission of Jesus was a mission built around the table. And so just for a couple minutes, I want to look at Luke chapter 5, verse 20. 
37 through 32. That's one of the passages we already looked, like, looked at. And, and we could really go through all the book of Luke, maybe take one week at a time, but we're just going to look at one today, one encounter with Jesus at the table and see what happened. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to the sect complained to the disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, it's interesting. Matthew, as he's recording this, just says tax collectors and others. The Pharisees say tax collectors and sinners. Like they had pushed them out. Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The problem here is not the party. The Pharisees believed that there was going to be a great banquet. The problem was the guest list. Like that was the problem for uh, the Pharisees. And we've talked about the tax collectors before. Uh, but the tax collectors were on the side, were, were Jews who were on the side of the Romans. Like they had sold out to Rome. The foreign power who was occupying Israel. And the hope of, of Israel and of the Pharisees was that if they could just be pure enough. Like the people of God could be so pure. Because they had, if you remember, we're reading... Uh, in the Old Testament, the prophets kept coming to the people of God. Like, you've got to follow God's ways. You have to follow God's law. You have to not pervert justice. And so the Pharisees and, and the people of God did not listen. So they went into exile. They came back into Israel, but still not really under their own authority, under their own power. So there was still this hope that something more uh, would happen. And they, and they so bad wanted to be pure so that God would then come and reign and set things right. And so for the Pharisee, uh, they took the Old Testament laws that were given to the priests who were serving in the temple, you know, in the, uh, coming to serve in the temple, and they took those laws and they began to apply them to individual lives. And so that the temple uh, was extended into the family table. Like they, they so wanted to please God and for every to have this reform in Israel so everybody was um, pure before God. And so it wasn't just that the Jews were against Rome. From the Pharisees' mind, God was against Rome. And so if you were with Rome, then you were against God. So if you were a tax collector, you were an enemy of the state. Uh, and in order for the, for the Pharisees and for the nation of Israel to be... Uh, uh, to be redeemed by, by God and, and um, put back in what they thought was their rightful place. They needed a pure Israel. And the tax collectors stood in the way of that. The sinners stood in the way of that, so they were not welcomed at the table. But Jesus welcomes them to the table. I mean, but they were the, like the enemy. They were the opposition, and um, that's how they saw them. And I wonder if there's anybody in your life who's you're at opposition with, who if they were at your table, people might question, like, I thought they, uh, they voted for the other guy. Like, I, uh, what are they doing at your table? Uh, I, thought, I thought, you know, uh, whatever, fill in the blank. What are they doing 
at your table. I thought you just posted something bad about them on Facebook this week. <laughs> what are they doing at your table? Uh, there's a, a professor from uh, UCLA, and he's, he talks about the table fellowship and hospitality in the New Testament times, and he says it would be difficult to overestimate the importance of table fellowship for cultures of the Mediterranean basin in the first century of, uh, of that era. Mealtimes were far more than occasions for individuals to consume nourishment. Being welcome at a table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. When persons were estranged, a meal invitation opened the way for reconciliation. I think it still holds true. That invitation to a meal holds the opportunity for reconciliation. Because meals in every culture, they're boundary markers. Like who you eat, it like sets up a boundary with who we can eat with. And, uh, and even the, when we think about the Jews and the Old Testament law, the reason that they were given uh, dietary laws was not so much for health purposes, uh, as much as it might have been healthier. But it was to uh, distinguish them from the cultures around them. God was creating a people, an identity of a people, and so for them not to eat certain foods was to set them apart in their identity. Um, and, um, I mean, does that, does that make sense? Like, even the, the food that they ate and didn't eat, it symbolized cultural boundaries, and it also created them. That's why it's not, it wasn't easy for the Jews to eat with Gentiles, like, because they would never know, is this kosher? Like, I... Was this prepared in a kosher way? Uh, Elora and I have some, some friends from Israel that used to be our neighbors, and we would share meals together and parties, and we loved going to their parties. Food was awesome. Uh, we went to their uh, son's celebration on his eighth day. And, uh, but when they came to our house, to our parties, the, the husband would never eat. And we never made a big deal out of it. But I, and I would never even ask, but I'm sure it was because he wasn't sure if it was a kosher kitchen and so it just creates it just creates boundaries right when we are unable to share share a meal and so Jews rarely ate with Gentiles and it just created a deeper and deeper divide even though the prophets talked about Isaiah talked about a feast that would be for all people for everybody uh, by the time Jesus comes on the scene there, there were these walls and, and dietary laws and uh, that kept them uh, separated and so in Luke 5 Jesus is eating with those whom the Pharisees believe are keeping Israel from being blessed. And, and so a question that the Jews always were always asking was like, who can I eat lunch with? Because to eat lunch with someone was also to do theology at the same time. Like doing lunch was doing theology. And um, not too long ago in our own country, there used to be signs on restaurants and businesses, whites only. I'm not old enough. I never saw one of the signs. Is there, is there anybody here that has seen one of those signs on a building? Yeah. It's, it's, it divides. Uh, and Dr. King knew there was something about sharing a meal, even being able to eat in the same place. Uh, in 1964, Dr. King, we've got a picture of Dr. King here, right after he was uh, arrested in, in Florida, I think. The other, Picture of Dr. King. Uh, this was in, in Florida, St. Augustine. 
Uh, Dr. King and 17 companions, they were held on charges violating Florida's uh, unwanted guest law. Like un unwanted guest. Um, other civil rights demonstrators uh, made another night march through crowds of jeering whites, the New York Times reported in 1964. Uh, on this occasion, the governor offered to pay Dr. King's bond if he promised to leave the state and not come back. Like, we'd just rather not deal with this if you could just leave. Dr. King knew there was something uh, equalizing about sharing a meal together. There was something about seeing another person for who they were around the table at a meal. And just like doing lunch was theology 2,000 years ago, I believe doing lunch today is doing theology today. And it's doing reconciliation. And it's doing a bit of history and a bit of, of learning about the other person. And Jesus spent his ministry inviting people to the table. And the invitation was come as you are. The Pharisees, they had an invitation too. Like you could come as long as you acted right. right? As long as you believed just like they believed and were um, held all their, their laws like, like they wanted you, you were welcome. Where Jesus was come as, come as you are. You are welcome at the table. And uh, this, I mean, the, the position of the Pharisees, it made sense. Like if you think God's not going to bless us, until we are all living a certain standard of purity. That makes sense unless God is doing something new. <laughs> unless God is doing something radical with his grace and something even scandalous. And all through Luke chapter 5, before this encounter, uh, Jesus is going against the grain. He touches someone who's called a leper. A leper had a skin condition. They were considered unclean. Not just that, that they hadn't taken a bath. They weren't let in to the temple because they were unclean according to purity laws. And so Jesus comes along and touches him. And instead of Jesus becoming unclean, the man becomes clean. And that's what grace does. It transforms us and it, it takes us from being unclean uh, to clean. And, and Jesus isn't rejecting the purity laws of the Old Testament. In fact, those, those laws were because God wanted a holy people. But the truth is, only in Jesus can we be holy. So Jesus comes, and now he's fulfilling all the laws of the Old Testament. So we don't have to live by those ceremonial laws anymore. And Jesus is the one who atones for sin and makes us holy. I need, I need a couple more amens. Jesus is the one who atones for sins and makes us holy. There we go. That's better. Uh, so Jesus touches the leper, and then he heals a paralyzed man in Luke chapter 5, and then forgives his sins. Like the healing is one thing, but the only way that you're forgiven of sins is to go to the temple, do the right ceremonies, and become clean. Well, Jesus, again, is not saying the temple is bad, but he's saying the temple pointed to me, and I'm the one who forgives, and I'm the one who heals. It all points to Jesus. And then right after this, Jesus talks about new wine and old wine, right after he leaves Levi's house. And and these old wineskins and new wineskins and the two can't mix. And what Jesus is saying is that there is a way of grace that is newer and, and, and bigger and broader than this old, old way. And the two can't mix. Like you can't be self-righteous and gracious at the same time. You can't have it both ways. And so the old way is religious, exclusive, it's unwelcoming, it's grumbling. The new way is gracious, it's inclusive, it's welcoming, it's rejoicing. And so how are we living are we living according to the old way or uh, the new way? And I think for a lot of us, we, we treat life like a, a ladder of, of um, I wouldn't say self-righteousness, but of finding our, um, 
acceptance or finding our, almost our purpose in life. And it looks like different things for different people. And, and when we're doing better, we're kind of going up the ladder. Uh, but when we're not doing so well, we're going down the ladder. We're condemning ourselves. We're not living up to our, our standards. And uh, so it might look like um, becoming fully satisfied or fulfilled or accepted. For you, it might be business, business success. Or maybe it's acceptance from peers. Or maybe it's uh, admiration from the opposite sex. Maybe it's a beautiful home, a secure future, it's wealth, a happy family. And so like, we all have this question of like what, like, what is my purpose? What's bringing me ultimate fulfillment in life? And then depending on the answer, we create rules to get us to that point. Um, so, for example, the Pharisees, their salvation is, for them was national renewal. Like we, we need national renewal. How we get there is everybody's pure. So if everybody's not being pure, if I'm not being pure, I'm, I'm condemned. Um, so if your idea of, and you might, we don't use these terms like when we're thinking about it, like if, but if your idea of salvation, or like having fulfillment of life, is having friends, your first commandment might be, uh, thou shalt not be uncool, right? If you want to be cool, uh, and which that might lead then to a separation from people you think are uncool. Right? It, it divides us in a sense. Or if your idea of salvation is like a well-thought-out home, then your prophet might be Chip and Joanna Gaines. Right? And if I can just have shiplap walls, and uh, I don't even know what else they do on there. What is that? French doors. Yeah, well, I don't even know what that means. Uh, <laughs> or maybe for, for you, like uh, your first commandment is, thou shalt not be untidy. And you, you follow, uh, is it Marie Kondo? Is that how you say your name? Like all the rage lately? Like get rid of all your stuff? Have five books. Get rid of your, I mean like, I don't know. Uh, but self-salvation doesn't work because it never ultimately satisfies. It never ultimately uh, satisfies. And that, our, our joy and our identity can only come from Jesus. And so if, if we try to get it from these, these other things, it's just not going to work out. And, and instead of I mean, when we follow Jesus, instead of being condemned, we have a God who is condemned for us. It's not much of a stretch to say that Jesus was crucified for the way he ate and the people he ate with. Because it put him at odds with the religious leaders. All of the riffraff, all of the people who nobody wanted to associate with, all the people who had ruined their lives, all the people who were on the outside who Jesus invited him invited in. And when Jesus eats with Levi, the message is clear. Jesus has come for losers. Woo, amen. Count me in. Uh, Jesus has come for those on the margins. He's come for those who have made a mess, people who are ordinary. And the only people who are left out of the feast are the self-righteous, not those who are offering grace. And um, I came across this book about two years ago. It's called A Meal with, with Jesus. It's called Discovering Grace, Community, and Mission Around the Table. And in the very last page, the author, I think, provides very, very insightful um, idea to this whole point. Like why we gather on Sunday, why we worship, why we have mission, why we want people to come to Jesus. What are the Christian community meals for? They achieve many things. They express so much of God's grace they provide a glimpse of what it's like to live under God's reign. They express and reinforce the community that Christ has created through the cross. 
They're a foretaste of a new creation. They're great context in which to invite unbelievers so that they can encounter the reality of God among us. But they're not for any of these things. It's a trick question. Everything else, creation, redemption, mission, is for this. That we might eat together in the presence of God. The whole point is to get us to a meal at the table with our God. The food we consume, the table we, around which we sit, and the companions gathered with us have as their end our communion with one another and with God. The Israelites were redeemed to eat with God on the mountain, and we're redeemed for the great messianic banquet that we anticipate when we eat together as a Christian community. We proclaim Christ in mission so that others might hear the invitation to join the feast. Creation, redemption, and mission all exist so that this meal can take place. Amen. That is good news. So, how are we going to do this? We're going to eat together. We're going to share a meal. We're going to break bread together. And uh, every fifth Sunday, it might not be uh, we have pancake breakfast together. And it's not, we don't sing songs. We don't have, you know, I share a short devotion. But it is one of the most holy things that we can do as people. Because it's pointing to something beyond us. It's pointing to a day when there will be no more injustice. There will be no more uh, friction between races that we saw this week and, and people taking sides. There'll be none of that. Oh, I can't wait, right? It's our longing in us. So that's, that's why we eat together every fifth Sunday. It is incredibly holy moment when we eat together. And so, the other, I mean, we're going to have cookouts, soul food Sunday coming up. Mmm. Uh, pie with the pastors, just even the, the food that we have out here so we can share some food together. So our weekly rhythm is bless one person. One more rhythm to add to it. Eat with somebody this week. Anybody going to eat anything this week? All right. Invite somebody to eat with you. Share a coffee. Uh, after, after church, maybe you find someone like, hey, let's go get lunch. And if they're fasting, even better. Like, hey, I'll buy your water. All right. You come watch me eat. And, uh, but, uh, but my, my hope is that as a church, we're blessing one another, we're sharing meals together, like it, that it becomes a, uh, a part of who we are and, and breaking down uh, barriers in our, our neighborhood. Like we, every Sunday we talk about our mission of, of being a church that brings people together. Like the meal is, is one of the most powerful ways that that can happen. Um, last, last summer I mentioned, like if you will have a cookout at your house, go invite some neighbors over or even people from the church and you're like, Matthew, I just, um, it'll be helpful because inviting people over can sometimes be expensive. You got to buy food. Uh, but as a church and we all year long, if you want to have someone over, like Matthew, could, could the church help, you know, support the meal? Answer is yes. We will, uh, provide $25 up to four times for every family here to have a meal at your house if that will help you have, have someone over. Like we'll, we'll do that. A great opportunity next Sunday. What's next Sunday? Super Bowl. Super, you, you may not like Super Bowl, but it seems like people get together and watch the commercials, make fun of the halftime show, like whatever you want to do, it's a great opportunity 
to share a meal, to have the best party on the block. Is that all right? Is it all right for Christians to have the best party on the block? I mean, don't be getting the cops called. Uh, I, don't, I don't think we got any troublemakers like that. But share a meal. We have this, this built-in opportunity.